0: Out there, in the darkness, in the pipeline, waiting.
1: Thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Conrad. And I'm Simon. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming back on. Uh, today we're going to talk about the brand new animation of Fury from the Deep, So where did you first come across this story guys? How familiar with it were you already? I
2: was familiar with it only as one of the missing episodes. Um, My knowledge of missing episodes is quite lax Um, and I kind of uh, learn all about them as and when they get discovered or, or reconstructed as in this case so I didn't know much about it so it, it's kind. Of, it's, it's an absolutely lovely surprise and a lovely thing to devour. New, old, hoop Really. So, the, this DVD release is my first experience
1: of it. Fantastic. Conrad, was it one that you knew? That's
0: yeah, I mean, like, like Simon, I'm, I'm not a huge. I don't know much about it. If it's basically if it's missing, I don't generally know much about it. But um, now you've mentioned it, actually, I remember going on a holiday to Greece in the early '80s and reading the Target novel. So that would be the first time I read it or, or encountered it, and I really loved it at the time. I remember it being. It seemed like a very adult book, and it seemed really kind of exciting and gr- kind of like a grown-up Doctor Who. So yeah, so the first time was Target for me. How about you?
1: Yeah I think it would be the same It's the, it's the bumper edition target novelisation isn't it That's got like uh, way more pages than, uh, than the rest of them did um, Is that what it was? That's why it felt
0: adult I don't know what it was about it, is it just because it was big?
1: Yeah it could be, yeah I think Victor Pemberton turned in a manuscript And um, I can't remember, there's normally like a specific page count That all the target novels are I think Whether they're like two-parters or ten-parters um, and uh, he exceeded it and they, they liked it so much said we can't really cut it so they put it out as a as a bumper edition
0: <sighs> bloody hell it was brilliant the holiday reading the other reason it may have felt like adult is I might be mixing up with uh, Ian Martyr's books that if you were very lucky had a swear word in it it was yeah. very exciting <laughs> oh. I remember the invasion somebody calls him a bastard and I was like I'm oh. grown up now I'm grown up now this oh. is it I'm reading books is swearing in it <laughs>
1: Cool. Yeah, I actually I, th- I thought I knew more about this one than I did, but I think I just kind of remembered the the basics of it that it's the one where Victoria leaves and it's the one with the seaweed and stuff. But when I actually came to watch it, there's loads of stuff that felt really new, so uh yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, like that like like you guys it was um it felt like coming to a new story. Um and I didn't really remember the the opening is so unusual with the TARDIS dropping through the air. Uh, and landing on the surface, but but to the strains of the, the normal kind of materialization sound effect. It's um, it's a really weird thing, isn't
0: it? It's wild. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I remember seeing that clip on, if I'm right, I think I saw it on Blue Peter once. And I remember just thinking, wow, Doctor was strange in the old days. <laughs> I was thinking, that's so odd, but it's so cool. And I loved
2: how uh, big it made the sea look, because the TARDIS looks so small on it. And just the and it's and struck that the TARDIS would think that that was a great place to
1: land. Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll
2: just take that here for a change instead of boring old land.
1: But it adds That's to so its cool. it adds to its mystique a little bit that it can it could land on the surface of the water, um, and then presumably just move up and down with the tide as well, and and uh, yeah. and not move there. It kind of, it kind of speaks of uh, of alien machinery, doesn't it? That it that it can do that.
3: Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, you, you, you wouldn't necessarily have to land uh, to land on kind of dry, solid land, would you? You know, it's like that—that's a really human assumption, I suppose. But the TARDIS has a dinghy. Who knew? <laughs> it's
1: very handy. It's cool, isn't it? it actually. I why didn't
0: he, Why didn't he use that in Mind Warp? Now I'm wondering. It wasn't very far, I suppose good point the TARDIS probably thought oh you can wait out yeah they <laughs> <laughs> yeah, had enough of Perry's moaning
1: it's like oh she can just wait out <laughs> actually just reminding me then just when we talk about that the it's the uh, the snowman isn't it where the TARDIS lands on a cloud I suppose oh, yeah. it's the same sort of idea it's something that um, something of that weight would normally sink into but is able to you know rest upon in some way
0: yeah it's a bit of a weird one like the, the ex- like how it travels physically and how it sort of materializes. It's a bit like that thing between the inner and outer doors. Like how does that work? Because sometimes it's like we see it in this in both classic and new series, kind of flying through space, like a physical object moving through. Uh, but then, of course, most of the time we see it. It just appears out of thin air. So someone out there will know how on a. Maybe they will. Well there be some? Is there some theory out there about how it physically? Gets about or well, is it a choice can he sort of materialise it sometimes and then physically fly it somewhere I just watched Air the Doctor the other day and he sort of flew it through a, a wall you know and smashed it through a wall mm. so like uh, very well. and yeah and then think about Runaway Bride it's kind of physically spinning down the motorway it's not sort of materialising maybe it's just one of those
2: I love seeing the TARDIS spin through places it's so cool yeah when it like, kind of moves physically through places it's cool
1: the the behind the scenes um, stuff about how they achieved that effect with the the TARDIS being suspended below a helicopter and lowered down onto the sea that reminded me of Day of the Doctor actually when you mentioned that with the the opening with it oh yeah uh, it being, yeah um, it's it's a helicopter the unit helicopter isn't it that um, that carries it over London. Yeah, although probably they were probably quite relieved
0: uh, back in 2013, that it wasn't Mad Mike Smith <laughs> flying the TARDIS prop and Matt Smith in Trafalgar Square. I didn't. I wouldn't have liked to have been an insurance person on that. <laughs> Eating wine glasses as he does so. Yeah. Blimey. Uh, yeah. But it's it's a really cool effect. It landing on the water is it's, it's odd, but it, and and they didn't. Again, they could have easily have not done it. It would have been the easiest thing in the world to have it materialising on the beach, but it really does end the story with being really far out at sea, and it's, it's really cool. It's, and, and But I, I, it just seems like they talk, they talk a bit on the, the Cruel Sea documentary about, you know, oh, we had a bit of problems, I couldn't see where it was landing. Yeah. And I just sort of think that would have been – I mean, that seems like the least of the things that could have gone wrong, because, like, with the wind blowing it around, and it, there's just so many things that could have gone wrong. I kind of can't believe it lands so evenly and lands – so beautifully it's it's one of those things that there are quite a few of in this story they just in the production of it they just take some ludicrously risks or make it ludicrously ambitious but they if they pull it off when they pull it off it's brilliant and that's a yeah it's a great start
2: it's an extra level of care and love for uh, the, for the uh, thing that they're making isn't it because as you say they could, it could easily have uh, landed on the beach and it's just put the prop on the beach have the actors come out get rid of it and, but the day I do that, and they go to all these things, and didn't they say in the documentary that someone was out on one of the skids of the helicopters guiding them? Yeah,
1: Michael and and Bryant, isn't it? Yeah. Health
2: and safety. In this. <laughs> There's so many stories on this on this uh, release that you, you just and you just go, oh, you know, it's just. Um, there was another story about a ladder on one of the forts, and it just came away in the guy's hand, and he just chucked it into the sea. <laughs> let's find another way, shall we? About yeah. this? No.
0: Let's yeah, and the solution was, I know. Let's go and land a helicopter on top of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. The, 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 it's a beautiful time for health, health and safety. Where it was, you know, if they were, if you had that kind of really daring, you know, appetite for just pushing the boat out, as it were, um, it's brilliant. Absolutely
1: brilliant. Yeah, because these aren't like uh, aviation professionals or anything like that. These are like Michael E. Bryant who, who gets out on the skids of the helicopter and, uh, and just hangs off it and looking down. And then I think it's the prop boy or something that, that, that starts climbing harder yeah. and it breaks off. They're, they're just sort of PBC people who, you know, potentially out doing this stuff for the first time ever and just having a go. It's, it's great.
0: It's fantastic. There's lots
1: of it throughout the story
0: of um, people just doing things that they, they're not they're really over and beyond what they're required to do. But I, I love that. It's really nice. There's a kind of nice spirit of it that keeps the, the, the shows really got and they, they just had to work what they had. But it really does bond people together. When you don't have choices, you just have to make do with who and what you've got. And it's great. it gives it a really good kind of gang feel.
1: Yeah, because Patrick Troughton, they they forgot to order the outboard motor or something, didn't they, for the dinghy? So he so oh, I've got experience in boats. So I'll just I'll just row it ashore and um, yeah, just like you yeah. say, they just kind of crack on and get on with
0: it. Yeah, I love, I love all that improvising on the hop.
2: Yeah, yeah, it just makes it all so much better, doesn't it? I mean, I know we can't see the actual program, but you know, I, I think it, it shines through even on this, even on this release, and even through, you know, like. Uh, to get the things done and then for them those things to be animated fifty, 50 60 years later it's
1: oh it's just cracking it's fantastic it's, it's the love that they put into it in the first place that has gave it that um, sustainability that that people still want to see it all the years later for them to to animate it and there'd be a market for it isn't it it uh, you know it all pays off further down the line.
2: Uh, I was thinking this this story could well be written for the new series if it was kind of chopped down to maybe a,
3: a, a team parter um, and because it's he, still quite
2: relevant, you know, it's like the um, the natural resources resources of the planet, and uh, and to have a horror based on that is
1: it's you know could see it's still rather relevant, I think. Yeah. A bit like the. Uh Oh, the series twelve episode the the name's gone out of my head, the one with the plague in the sea. Uh oh um, Praxius. Praxeus, that's it, yeah. It's, um I, I knew it was like it wasn't a real word and I was trying to think what it was. Yeah, Praxius, it's uh, I suppose that's um you know potentially this is uh, an influence on that, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. That sort of idea, you know, of changing yeah. people. Um but yeah, seaweed is, is a cool idea for something uh, to be an alien monster in Doctor Who um, because it's kind of it's so slimy and alien-looking anyway. Um, and I guess for the kids of the day, it would have been, you know, your holidays would have been British seaside resorts, um, much more prevalent than foreign holidays in the 60s. So it would have been something that people would be used to seeing and it's, they, they you know, seaweed looks kind of weird and out of place on a beach anyway, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it would have
0: Easy to play and recreate. Is this because you went on holiday last week, Mark, and you were actually on a beach? Have you been scaring the biting again?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did. I did see some seaweed actually. Yeah, I was uh, to <laughs> to look twice. <laughs> <laughs> and,
2: and the very feel of it as well. Kids mm-hmm. would know that fine well that it just feel it feels that way. And you know, it's um, no. I think that's great. And, and didn't, isn't there a bit in it where? And the doctor looks through a book and he says, oh, it's in maritime history. All these tales of uh, big monsters in the sea. And this could could be it. Um, Yeah. I I like that idea of of using old folklore and saying, actually, it's got a basis in truth. Now it's
1: come back to, to haunt the human race. Yeah, because we actually are saying alien. We don't know that it's alien, do we? It's, um, its origins are quite mysterious, but there is that suggestion that it's just something ancient that's been there uh, for a long time. Um, it's
0: been activated by, the, I suppose, all the gas activity they've been doing, I guess. Mm. The drilling and uh, mining.
1: It's almost like a Pertwee story in that way, isn't it? Like the Silurians or Inferno or something. You can see, like, you know, a couple of years down the line, that's the sort of stories they'll be tapping into. Definitely.
2: Yeah, I can totally imagine Joe uh up the port ladder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and getting menaced by monsters at the top.
1: It's um it's not very furious, I thought, the seaweed. I think the fury is mainly on dry <laughs> land from Robson, isn't it? <laughs> it's like slightly misnamed. Yeah, he does get
0: into a lava. Um, Mark, I'm just oh, doing your oh. jokes. No, I'm just doing your jokes now because we've just got to preempt. This is a preemptive strike because Mark's dad jokes have got out of hand, so we need to get in there.
1: Damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I was reading the uh, the About Time volume on this one, and it, it, they seem to suggest the seaweed gets its ideas of world domination, I think, from by way of possessing the humans. Um, that it it wasn't sort of naturally an aggressive, or naturally had um, you know aspirations of taking over the world. But once it started possessing humans, that it got that idea from there. But it's it, it's left so ambiguous, isn't it, as to whether it's permanently defeated or whether it's going to come back again. It's uh, it's, it's quite a quite sort of mysterious alien. Yeah, threat. we know it. They, they say it's like inherently um, parasitic, so we know yeah. it, it will sort of. It, it, what it does is, is leech off of people, off or living things. But
0: yeah, it doesn't. Uh, that, that kind of makes sense. That, that part of what it absorbs is those kind of motive, human motivations and things. It, like you said, it's not completely. I kind, of, I kind of quite like that. We don't know that it's. You know, if you were tuning in, you wouldn't necessarily know whether it was caused by an alien thing or whether it was, you know, result of scientific. Progress, etc. I kind of maybe that mystery is kind of good. I think particularly with stuff coming out of the water, it's a very kind of evocative. They, you know, they've used it so much in, in in horror films and Doctor Who, of course. Like things coming out of the water is is a really sort of psychologically, it's a really kind of uh, rich, evocative things. You know, something rising out of the deep to come, you know, from the subconscious and all of that. So it's um, it's kind of quite nice. It's murky, mm. not murka, murky,
3: murky. <laughs>
2: And and the mystery extends into uh, not seeing it fully because we only ever see it really writhing round in um, in in all the foam, um, and I suppose at the end when um, when they confront like the converted humans on the um, on on the fort, but before that in the uh, and after that it's, it's it's kind of just writhing around in the foam, and it's just like catching glimpses of it. It's um, It's like in the old horror movies with the rattling doorknob. Once you see the ghosts full on, they're not scary anymore. Um, But if you catch a glimpse of them, then it lets your imagination run wild.
0: Yeah, they do. Te- they do tease it out really well and start it kind of quite small. As so you see little scraps of it, you know, in the file or whatever, and then gradually you get to see more and more of it. So yeah, you, they did. They hold it back really well, you know, over the six episodes, and it's the threat increases each time. It's really good. Oh, I, the actual monster itself. What did you think of that? Um, the actual, you know, monster. Cause I, I like the fact you. I could never place where its arms were. Like it, it wasn't just a regular. I a mean, man in suit with two big tentacles kind of thing. It was like, you. I think he had his arms up in the thing. So like, I don't know, it was quite weird. It, when it was thrashing around, you couldn't always track where, I know, where, the, where
1: the limbs were. Or was that just me? No, I think you're right. It was, um, yeah, because you saw on the documentary a bit of the design. And it's basically just for a man to sort of stand up in, isn't it? And maybe put his arms <laughs> above him and, and flail about. Yeah. Um, and uh, the poor guy that was in it and he had to sort of smash through the perspex while not being able to see anything and how they've been able to breathe and sliding around in the foam um, I
0: lo- I have to say I love that and again he's the visual it's what this thing about everyone having to double up and do stuff You know, he's the visual effects guy which is brilliant and now they'd have a stuntman or a performer probably I guess to do that to do something that full you'd get a, you know, Paul Casey or somebody to, to get in there but again it's like the visual effects guy and has to be said on the, on the documentary when he came out of that thing he was ripped so that was doing him a lot of good that's good exercise <laughs> frankly um, man was ripped um, but like it was um, I love that monster I mean I love a monster anyway I'm basically in, in Doctor Who for the monsters and I really loved the Weed Creature I thought it was fantastic and um, it was brilliant on the disc the fact there was all these little behind the scenes film tri- film trims and 8 millimeter film so you, you really get a good look at the thing and so it's. I love that but I didn't realise there were two of them ah, and there's a thing I, I think this is right on the if I've got this right on the commentary because um, uh, they, they were talking about animating when it finally attacks into the control room and at one point Jamie actually says and it's in the dialogue he goes oh there's another one or I only thought there was one of them Um, and I don't know where they actually got to uh, costumes or whether they just have sort of doubled the one they had but there's a suggestion that well there are, there are two at one point when they're fighting off the sound stuff um, one comes from the side in um, it's through another door so there are supposed to be two actual separate monsters in that scene um, but whether they had two costumes I don't know but I love it I think it's, I think it's a really you know, it's always obscured by foam which really helps you know, if that was in the 80s, they'd have had that walking through a door floodlit. Yeah. You know, completely <laughs> brightly lit. But the fact it's all thrash, round and foam, it really does look like seaweed. It's got a uh, monster rant over, but I love that monster. I think it's fantastic.
1: It's great. And the black and white helps it as well, I think, with, um, with scenes like that as well. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, Eagle
0: Moss. Eagle Moss, we want that monster. Yes, we do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's a real creepiness to, to this story. And they... And they maintain that creepiness, um, and in the animation as well. And it's um, in the uh, in one of their features, and they say that it's um, there's they wanted to give this feeling of something's not quite right about the whole thing, from the overcast skies to the to the lighting in the base and everything. And it's um, and they and, and the carried that through into the animation with the with the way that they lit it as well, I thought that was absolutely fantastic and it's um, and it, it really, that really lends itself to, to this monster kind of slowly grouping its way into the base and, and into people's heads, yeah,
1: brilliant It's great and like you say about the starting off small with the with the little piece <sharp inhale> of in the file, in the animation it gets bigger and bigger because you get the, the I'm jumping to the end here but the, the helicopter Ride back from the uh, back from the the fort out at sea back to the base with the huge tentacles riding out of the sea. But it fits so well with the sound, doesn't it? Um, that it isn't just the doctor sort of barely able to control the helicopter; he's having to dodge these huge tentacles. Um, yeah, I, I really like that.
0: Uh, 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 yeah, I think it's a really it's a really valid addition addition to it. If they had the money, they would have absolutely all the time. They would have absolutely done that, like they did with like the crinoid or. Or whatever, you know, they have a giant version or, or whatever in the background. Um, yeah, it's great. It's a, I thought that was a really smart addition to the. And it's kind of like you said, it's kind of logical because it starts small and keeps getting bigger. That would be visually, it's such a great idea. These giant tentacles coming out of the sea, trying to swap this helicopter out of the
1: air. Brilliant. And it makes sense as they gradually take over each of the rigs as well, that it's, it's yeah. just swelling in size. yeah it's, uh... Yeah.
0: And I can't believe they didn't do the. the apparently, again, is this ambition thing. Um, at some point, they were saying, "Well, we we want to get these sea forts, what, or oil rigs, and then we, we want to put foam, you know, coming out all, all the top of one of them. One of them going to be clearly covered in foam." And you know, I think I don't know who it was, was sort of suggested, "Oh, this would be a model." They're like, "No, no, we can do this, you know, for real." And I'm just thinking. I just, that's mad, you know, it's like, if you've got the choice to make a model and put some foam on top of it, you know, just do that. Um, but no, no, we can get lots of foam out to sea, transport it, put it all there, make it behave, you know, it's not going to blow away, it'll be fine. That is insanity. Um, but I, again, I love the fact they, they do it and you get these helicopter shots of, you know, all the seaforts and one of them is covered in foam. Like from the distance, that is mad. Um, brilliant,
1: though, brilliant. Yeah. And at the time, there's no expectation that this will ever be seen more than once, is there? It's like if you make something now, you, you know that it's going to be rewatched, and it's going to be on the iPlayer and the Blu-rays and everything else, and repeated. Yeah. Um, but at this time, it was like this. This will go out once, and most people have got a tiny TV. <laughs> yeah. But the the effort that they that they go to is fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Those,
2: those forts are a great location. They're so spooky.
3: Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they they look great. They, they yeah, just are standing out there in the sea. So there's just something very I don't know. Yeah, very evocative and atmospheric about them. Um, it's great. And it also, could put it kind of you kind of get that image of like you know the man's the machine kind of standing in the sea, and then also you've got you know versus nature and stuff. It's great. They do look they do look fantastic.
2: Another really creepy bit was um, was where the woman well, uh, is it Mark Maggie? Uh, she walks into the sea. And that was utter dedication on the actor's part as well, wasn't it? Because she she must have been freezing. But to watch it on, to even the concept of somebody walking out to sea and like being taken over and walking walking all that way and and being submerged below the waves and being taken over by this tentacle monster thing, that it's really unnerving. It's just an, an unnerving thought that something could do that to you. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, and obviously, um, Oak and Quill—the uh, ultimate sort of creepy, yeah, uh, creepy additions to this story—and um, and luckily they were too creepy for the Aussies, so we've got the uh, we've got the moving footage of that.
0: Thank goodness for those no- notoriously sensitive, shy, retiring Australian <laughs> people. Um, <laughs> Um, and, and it's great though, and it's—I uh, it, it, mean—it it's, is great. And also, when you watch the telesnap reconstruction, the bits that come to life tend to be those sensor clips, which tend to be the, the scary bits. So it really does help sort of a tentpole the story when you're watching the telesnaps snaps because it, it sort of bursts into life kind of surprisingly mm-hmm. for something you know, like brilliant, like the Oaken Quill scene, which has got to be one of the you know, Doctor who's old. It's got to be one of Doctor who's top ten. Serious moment sort of thing it's, it's, it's it, what do you make of that why is that scene so why does it work so well it's just so bizarre if you think about what's actually happening it's like very very strange but on some like I really feel like on a deep level it really is kind of nightmarish and it's certainly got a very horror element to it it is and then, and then the, the, the weirdness the fact that they look like you know Lauren Hardy they look such comical characters but they are when they suddenly with their faces change. It is absolutely horrible, like really horrible. I think you've hit the nail on the
2: head with saying that it's nightmarish, and all they have to do is open their mouths wide, and the end suffocated by the gas that comes out. Um, it's he's it, it's genuinely unnerving. Is 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 that the uh, And I'm so glad that it still survives. Uh, I thought the animation of uh, Mr. Quill, the, is Mr. Quill the tall one, and I just yeah. thought that was superb because it's it's kind of like that um, almost comical but kind of tipping over into sinister and quite, really quite freakish. Yeah. Uh, that massive smile and just opening her mouth and, ah, uh, uh,
0: no. <laughs> and, and, and the way they shoot it is when it gets quite trippy and they sort of dissolve... Mm-hmm. The, the, the scenes of their the increasing sort of close-ups of their mouths with Maggie Harrison at one point I think I paused it and it just where it was sort of overlapping and she was sort of framed sort of clutching her neck and dying sort of within his mouth because it was kind of it was oh, really like so all of that kind of weird sort of dissolving between those they, and, we, and of course you've got a pulsing pounding heartbeat so it just becomes this sort of fever dream it's oh I love it
1: I think it's the intrusiveness of it being in her bedroom as well, which, um, again, if you're a kid, that's where, you know, you, you can be scared at night and stuff like that. The idea of, uh, you know, strangers coming in, they and they don't say anything, do they, when they arrive? I know Oak's the only one that speaks anyway, but when they arrive in, in the room, they just look at it, don't say anything, and then open their mouths. Um, all of that is, is, yeah, really, really creepy stuff. Yeah, and also is, what's nice as well is when you've got one of these kind of formless,
0: shapeless, sort of uh, nebulous uh, threats, it's really nice. It's personified by somebody. Like it would be uh, we talked about a bomb or Snowman and uh, you know, the Great Intelligence. Sort of we know is out there, but it's it's when you, it's always nice to have someone like Padma That's nice. Um, so it's help helpful to have someone to kind of really embody it and personify it, so that we it, it just gives all the rest of the threat that that personality so when you would, the next time you see loads of creeping foam or tendrils you've kind of got that personality you know what's behind it you know um so it's nice to have those people to kind of express it i, I would say paradise towers but i think perhaps richard doesn't
1: quite uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and quite get the threat that we're after but.
1: and they get another um, great moment when you realize that they are the lift operators um, when when the doctor and you are down in the uh, the impeller, aren't they? Um, and again, yeah. it's just an unspoken yeah. thing of just looking at each other and walking away from the control panel. Um, just another fantastic moment for them. Yeah,
0: and the fact that they do like sort of smile. Simon said, like they kind of smile. They're sm- kind of smiling about it. It's just that very weird, and the way he talks when he turns up to the door, and and just the way he he talks is very sort of playful and and childish it's just it's it's just really creepy mm.
2: and, and that's the thing you get the sense that these two enjoy it rather than just being sinister full of threats it's like they enjoy the, you know like they're, they're the part of the monster or the intelligence or whatever it is and it's really really enjoying being nasty and uh, yeah yeah that, that's the horrible
1: bit yeah, it's great stuff yeah, the the other bit where the uh, where the recon comes to life um, is uh, Van Lutien's death, which is pretty yeah. horrific as well, isn't it? When he gets dragged screaming into the sort of foamy oh. depths of the of the impeller. Um, yeah,
0: really, really well shot as well. It's like a lot of this stuff, um, like it's incredibly well shot. And when you see him from above, getting dragged in, and his hands, you know, scraping down the wall as this as he gets kind of yeah pulled down into it. Brilliant stuff.
2: Yeah, I or, think that would be my worst way to go, I think. Yeah. <laughs> death by foam. Yeah, death by foam, but underneath, and the, the claustrophobia of it, and the dark, and, you know, I've never been able to make your way out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah survives, I've got to say, Van Lucian's death, but it, it isn't, is it? Because everybody actually survives this at the end. Um, which I always That's forget right about as do, well. Man. When um, when you, when um, when you watch it and you think oh, he's had a horrific death and and <laughs> a, di- a really horrible deaths in it, but then um, they all pop up at the end. So it's uh... I was really surprised that Maggie
2: pops up at the end, and um, mm. because like was, she walks into the sea, which you know like kind of suggests that the monster preserved her life because it obviously had some fer- thought it had some further use for it. And I don't know if that. Do you reckon that detracts from the scene previously,
1: or were you just more glad that she survived, or or what? I feel like in her case, you you are because uh, I really like the the Harris's relationship. It's it's really rare to get anything domestic like that in this era of Doctor Who. I feel, and it gives Mister Harris having that motivation of of trying to save her. Um, just makes him a bit different from everybody else who's working at that gas plant, who's just kind of talking about impellers and stuff all the time. Um, I think you do well for me anyway. I got, yeah, I got quite invested in them. So the fact that he'd fought so hard to try and save her and get a doctor to her and, and things like that—the fact that she survived—I was, I was quite pleased about that.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really good question, Simon. Actually, about how you how you do that—the the sort of everybody lives thing. I feel like this is this is okay, and it's it's, it's okay if. Um, Like if through the doctor's solution, uh, you know, when the threat goes away, the sort of victims are released. I feel that's okay. I don't feel it's okay. I think when we feel cheated, tends to be when they just reverse, they just reverse what happened. Like Perry. in the end of Trial of Time Lord, they went, oh no, she didn't die. Like, And you just feel cheated. You're like, well, no, that's not what we saw. And um, I'm just currently watching, uh, doing in lockdown, doing a good Stephen Moffat re- sort of rewatch. So I'm, I'm very, very much up against uh, deaths that, don't, that get reversed, let's say, politely. Um, and it's like, you just feel cheated because you're like, oh, so that thing I saw and really invested in didn't happen at all. Okay. And I think that's different from you thinking someone's dying and they get rescued through you know, as part of the story, I, th- I feel better about that. I don't like it when they you, you know, just sort of go back and tell you what happened didn't happen, I find that I find that hardest to deal with. I think. How about you, Mark?
1: Yeah, I think if it's um, yeah, I agree basically. Yeah, I think if it's if it's sort of earned like that, and there's a, there's a reason for it, um, probably better when it is something clever that the doctor has done. Maybe be in the background, even um, as uh, as a way of saving somebody, and then it's a kind of a reveal. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I yeah. Like that yeah. Thing. Yeah. Just thinking about it, wait, this is a story where everybody lives, and it's the one where the doctor sticks around for a little while afterwards. Whereas uh, when a lot of people have died, or he's blown stuff up, he, um, he especially the second doctor, he just sneaks away, doesn't he, without saying goodbye? Yes, staying for dinner. I love that. Very seventies. <laughs>
2: And that nice scene on the, uh, the on the patio at the end as well. I was quite surprised at that. Yeah, you know, like giving them time to say goodbye and that kind of unsaid relationship between uh, Jamie and Victoria. Because uh, I always assumed that they said goodbye on the beach and she'd just suddenly say, "No, I'm staying with the Harrises. I like the Harrises." Because I was aware of like that bit of you the deep and that's and the oak and quill bit, and that's about it really. And um... And I was assumed it was there. I had no idea about that patio scene or the dinner scene that he stuck around afterwards. So it, it was really full of surprises. But it, you know, I do wonder why he did, why the the doctor did decide. Oh yeah, I have dinner. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because usually he just like kind of says, "Come on, let's let's take a take a hike before anybody asks any questions."
0: Yeah, so that's a really good question because actually now, like, it could just be that that's just the way that writing you know, of Victor Pemberton just thought, oh, I know he sticks around for dinner and then he goes, but actually if you sort of think about it in terms of the story, it's like, he's probably giving Victoria more of a, a choice to sort of, so it's not just so, so sort of strictly, well, if you don't, you know, if you're not coming with us, then you'll we'll have to go with them. The fact that he stays around for, and he says, we'll stay for, you know, we'll stay for a night or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and him sort of, I don't know. You could you could easily see it as as him just
1: softening that uh, departure. I so, oh, you know. so she, need, she needs a little bit of time to to learn about the era that she's going to be living in as well, because she's she's from Victorian times, isn't she? She says, yeah, she doesn't want to go and live back in those times um, because she's discovered a penchant for miniskirts, hasn't she? So yeah. So, <laughs> She can't go and live back in Victorian <laughs> times, but I guess she doesn't really know what the world's like outside, especially outside of this base. In in whatever year this is set in, it's kind of a like a unit sort of near future setting, isn't it? So it's it sort of, it's is. A yeah. Bit of yeah, I'm
0: actually meant to ask that. Is it? Is it? Um, because in the sort of animation, they make it quite clear. There's literally a calendar on the wall that says 1973 or something. like in the story, do is, sorry, is that just in the animation, or is it in the story that it's set in the 70s? Do I didn't spot you have that. Have sense of that? I do not know yeah the, anim- the animation makes it like completely clear it's 70s but um, yeah I, th- I think you're right I think the thing the, 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 the programme just sort of suggests to near future
1: ah that's interesting I totally missed that in the animation as well it's, um... yeah I'd missed that although I saw the uh,
2: the uh, Master Wanted poster in the background A nice little Easter egg the same <laughs> one as in the faceless So I thought that was of nice that was nice.
0: The other the other ones I got to say are really obscure. I don't know how anybody would ever get that. There's um so the Delgado one is a nice one for us to get, but I, I've never spotted the other ones. Gary mentioned them on the Gary Russell mentioned them on the animation documentary. Like uh, apparently one of the one of the digits and like written on one of the pieces of Tardis science equipment is the production code. I think maybe some people would. He's he's done like three level. He's done like three levels of kind of of nerd Easter egg. So the Delgado one we can all spot. Like on the on the science equipment, there's code RR something or other, and that's the production code. And then on the gas tank, there's some date that's very relevant about something. And I'm like, how would you ever spot that? But, you know, prizes if you did. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, I I have to say, I confess, I I thought an Easter egg was uh, the number 420 as the address of the Harris's. Um, 420 being a sort of euphemistic code for weed uh, of the recreational use. Um, And I just thought, I saw that, I kind of chuckled, and I was like, oh my God, no, they actually live at number 420, but that's. That's probably best. If you haven't spotted that, that's probably for the best. Victoria um, has a
2: whole new education. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> nice who knows? Mr. Mrs. Is. <laughs> but, but it's
0: nice that apparently Deborah Watling, when she left the show, she went off and opened a little fashion boutique. So maybe Victoria, maybe she did
1: the same. I did not know that. Yeah, it's called the the Pink Clock. Ah, it'll end up something every day.
0: And there's the other little nugget. I don't know if this is. Uh, but um, so did I get here this right that Fraser and Debbie dated a little bit?
1: That's what it says in the complete history, that, yeah, after she left the show, they, um, they briefly dated.
0: Yeah, it was on the, on the commentary, and I was just like, I was like, didn't. I know Fraser, Fraser was very popular with ladies, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't know that those two had a little, um, little romance. That's jolly.
1: Well, it also says in the complete history that um, Debbie went for a date with Mad Mike. Um, but was put off a bit when he started eating glass over the um, <laughs> <laughs> over the candlelit dinner. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh my lord! Can you imagine that date? Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the
0: wall for that? <laughs> I mean, she was nineteen to be fair, and thrown into the you know the wonderful, exciting, romantic world of television. <sighs> who, who knows? He's <laughs> literally swinging from the is. <laughs> that was yeah. They're great stories on that documentary.
1: Yeah, and it's nice, it's a little bit different, isn't it, to the usual documentaries because it is just the people who were there reminiscing about it, um, you know, rather than, a, you know, any voiceovers or anything like that. It's, um, it's it's a nice way of doing it, I think.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really nice documentary. And I suppose it's, the, you know, the question has come up at um, uh, various points about how, how the Blu-ray teams and stuff are going to do, how they're going to cover um, documentaries uh, when on the stories that have hardly got any material to them, but I thought this was a really good. You know, they got they got they managed to get three people together, and they you know it, it's great. And they managed to kind of ex- and I think it really it's really helped by this one from the location because you've got that spectacular location which does mm. sort of lend itself. But it'll be really interesting to see what they do for you know how they how they do that. Do you guys have any preference to what kind of documentaries or stuff because I know is I'm with, um, with the missing ones I really really want because I don't know anything about them I really kind of know what what I know want I want to know what happens to how they got lost and which bits came back and all of that you know
1: I guess it depends what you're interested in there is a brilliant podcast series called uh, doctor who the missing episodes podcast I've only recently discovered uh, but they look at each of the missing stories talk a bit about the story but then talk about how it was discovered, which countries it was sold to. It's, it's absolutely fascinating, so I will put a link in the show notes to that. It's a really, really interesting podcast. Oh, that's great. I've heard of it, but I'd love to listen to it. Yeah, the, um, I've only listened to the first few episodes. They, they get interviews with Paul Schoons and John Preddle and, and people who have actually been um, instrumental in, uh, in in returning the episodes as well, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really good listen. Nice.
2: Yeah, I like it when on documentaries where they go back to the place and where they filmed it. Um, but also, I mean, it's quite a feat getting it was so long ago to get people who actually work on it nowadays. And I suppose, in a way, you've got to get these things done while
1: we still can. Yeah, I, think, I feel like the some of the recent ones they're using sort of convention archive footage as well, aren't they? Because um, one of those, yeah. uh, one of these features had. Victor Pemberton and Deborah Watling uh, on a panel together, which was which was really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's. It. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant way of doing it, using all these clips and yeah, and it, so for anything you can, especially on these older ones, you know, anything you can, you know, find is is great. Um, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the little interview they did with the visual effects uh, guy and who actually had a prop of one of the masks. I was just like, that's fantastic.
2: It feels really comprehensive because it's made of so many little bits but different formats he, he he's beginning to feel like he, he's more i know i know the, he, the in one sense it's almost i wouldn't say co- quite cobbling it together with what you can but it does feel like um like there's a it's more of a comprehensive feel to it so you got like the um originating radio play you got interviews from the past you got present interviews you got this recon, that recon, and it, it just feels like a nicely rounded package rather than just the main feature and the talking heads making of documentary like you used to get on the
0: DVD. Yeah, um, and, it, and, it's, and, and it, I agree. And I think with lockdown as well, it's, it's had an effect on the commentaries this time because they haven't been able to get everyone in a room together. And so it's much more chopped and, you know, bit, people calling in here, a little bit of interview there. And I think that's really good. It's great, and I, th- I, th- I think particularly for these older ones, which are, like you said, a kind of patchwork of anecdotes and you know bits, scraps of information here, it's, it's a good way of doing it. I thought, I thought the commentaries worked really well on this one for for being a kind of little patched together thing, because this could have been the same three or four people for six out, you know, for six episodes, um, but actually I think it really benefited from having lots. and they had loads of different people in here, from makeup to Every like like you said someone, every, every angle, piece every sort of angle of production was kinda of covered because they're using so many different sources. So yeah, I agree. Well they do say necessity is the mother of invention, don't they? So, you yeah. know, maybe it's
2: just brought out that extra layer and um and I I love all that kind of stuff. I love hearing from hearing from and about people that you wouldn't normally think about, like like the makeup guys and so on. It's yeah. um it
1: just makes it richer somehow. Yeah. I really like the story about the couple that got together as well, two of the actors yeah. um, that, that met and got married on this. Because um, a similar oh. story on Shada, isn't there? That um, oh yeah, the the guy that plays um, I forgot his name, Chris Chris Parsons. Chris Parsons that um, that uh, he met somebody who's on the production side of it, wasn't it? And they
3: yeah,
1: they're still married, and they talk about it in the documentary. It's uh, it's nice oh. that. Doctor Who has brought people together in that way as well, and um, these yeah. these lovely stories in the background. Yeah. just makes it more human, really, doesn't it? Definitely.
0: Um, how do how do you because um, there's, there's so many different like uh, ways of watching this. There's so many different versions of it on this DVD or Blu-ray. Did did you do DVD or Blu-ray? And and how how did you watch it this time? Like what all did you watch it in? Or how, how do you prefer
1: to watch these things? I went for the the steel book. Um, just got, oh yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've bought them all on steelbook so far, and um, you're
0: enjoying that petrol money through
1: after that lockdown,
0: really, aren't you? Yeah, you yeah. really are getting <laughs> every buck. <laughs> no, yeah,
1: really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they—I mean, they're just such a lovely set. The artwork and everything on them is um, is lovely as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, I watched the the colour animation first, um, ah. then I watched the recon. But I kind of thought maybe I should have done it the other way around and seen the original and then seen how it had been interpreted as an animation. And I'll probably do that next time, to be honest. How about you guys? I watched um, the black and white version
2: first because I was really eager to see as close as possible to how it was broadcast. And then I kind of ploughed on through all the uh, all the extras and then went back to watch the colour version Um yeah, I really, really wanted to see the black and white version, and I was really glad I did because it's it's almost film noir the way it was the way it was laid, and they really paid attention to it, like on the um, documentary, one of the documentaries, and they said they put a little blue tint on it because a lot of the televisions at the time would have had that blue tint, and I just thought that was quite that was quite sweet, really, what attention to these films.
0: That's, pretty, that's really nice yeah that's it's still kind of staggering the level of effort that's gone into these and um, I went for the black and white as well um, which I noticed was the default on this disk it was on or rather it was on disk one up front I don't know that's been the case on the other ones, I I, I get the feeling that like on the other ones, color has been the default. Might be wrong on that one, but um, but yeah, I went black and white first for similar reasons. Like I, I like I like, actually I prefer things in black and white anyway. Um, but I think yeah, for for like you, I kind of want to watch things that are fairly similar than they are at the time. Um, and then then I did the color, and then I did the tele snaps last. But I think I and I love that I love telesnap recons anywhere and they've been cleaned up really beautifully here and i think next time i might just go for, i might go telesnap first because actually i realized watching all of this when it came to watching the telesnaps that's the one i really put the lights out watched it all in one go and really tried my best to kind of drink in the story I, I, the thing is we're so sport of choice you can have whatever version you like um and each one benefits from something different but I feel really I'm getting really into the telesnap recons now I really like them and I don't and I, I used it within norex you got the option to have narration or not so if you've got narration I chose this time um you, it's very clear what's happening and I love it I, I really so I think next time I'm going to watch telesnap first but like you know we are so spoiled for uh,
1: choice they are great value for money in that way because like you say you've got the three different versions then within the reconstruction, you've got the narration or the subtitles on the screen. You can also watch them with the commentary as well. You've got the, um, how uh, would you call them, the the in, info info text. Yeah, info um, text. I love the info text on those. Yeah. Um, which I think you know in the past I've been guilty of watching those with the director's commentary um, until I saw an interview with um, with one of the guys that writes them and says it's not really the right way to do it because the info commentary is is time to coincide with certain pieces of dialogue and things like that so it's um you're not know, getting the full experience if you do it that way so yeah there's yeah. um, a lot of variations with it
0: yeah it's fantastic it's fantastic I kind of can't believe we're sitting here in 2020 talking about yeah. sitting here with blue rays of Fury from the Deep. I mean, I can't believe it. I'm thrilled. It's so good. And yeah, you're right. We were so spoiled with the ways the the different. You said the different versions and the different ways you can watch them. It's wild.
2: Isn't isn't there something right about Patrick Swayze's story charting on the Apple charts? I think it was in 2020.
0: Yeah, I switched on my telly on a Saturday night, and we we're like, "Oh, let's try and find a film to watch." And it was like the top ten things on Apple. You know iTunes TV and, and Fury from the Deep was that I couldn't believe it. It's, it's happy, and it was a uh, was it top of in you know, I think it was top of some uh DVD or Blu ray charts at some point. Um, so it's great, yeah.
2: There's uh, you know, it feels like it feels like we, we needed a little treat this year, and this is that treat. And Boy, um, yeah. I'm just looking forward to the next one to be honest already. More, <laughs> please, more. <laughs>
1: It shows how healthy the range is as well. That, like say, it's it's in those charts with with much bigger kind of mainstream blockbuster stuff. So, hopefully, the the future of the range is really secure. Yeah, I hope so.
3: I would the,
2: imagine so, um, because a lot of uh, younger fans um, seem to love the first couple of Doctors, don't they?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, a yeah, very much so. Yeah.
2: So I always imagined that uh, that uh, their go-to would be um, would be like kind of the later ones from David Tennant onwards, but um, now the, there's a lot of love for William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton and so on. And it's um, and uh, a lot of people do. I, I watched this video <coughs> with um, I think it was Josh Snares, and he was trying to recreate the 1960s model uh, um, TARDIS shots of it spinning in space, and you know, who'd have thought? Like you're 20 years into the 21st century, and some kids like tried to recreate 1960s effects. Uh, I, I just, it, it warms my heart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and what did what do we make of the animation? That's that. I mean, that's a because because I suppose, I suppose a lot of the reason these things are commercially viable is that they can say, you know, here's a whole animated doctor Who which which has to has to stand on it in, in its own right I mean notice Gary says you know that, that he thinks of uh, the animation as an al- very much as an alternative not a replacement version you know the Telesnap versions on there if you want to see the a reconstruction but this is like an interpretation of it and it makes it commercially you know viable because they can present it a whole package whereas you couldn't sell it on a telesnap reconstruction for the general public kind of thing um, but yeah well, how, how did you get go on with the animation generally Considering there's so
2: little to go on, I thought it was utterly beautifully done. Um, really, it's, I mean, look, uh, I was watching the documentary uh, or the, the kind of an, the animation documentary, and I was marveling at, at how they would have had to have become experts on something that doesn't exist anymore in its original form. So they had the telesnaps, they had those little snippets. They would have had some production stills, and they would have had to kind of construct something really complicated together, and get human-like movement into the characters and make them make the characters look like the actors playing the characters. I I, I thought I thought it was lovely. They got the three regulars really spot on. I love Jamie's expression.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The say so the three regulars um, and. And, and a lot of the uh, the guest characters as well, I think um, uh, Robson and Harris are re- pretty close to the originals. Uh, you can definitely, you know, if you if you were to show somebody who hadn't seen it pictures of the, the originals and their animations, you could easily, uh, you know, match them up and everything. Um, and it was lovely. It was such an um, international effort as well that they're working in in Australia and in India and in the UK. Um that was uh, that was a nice side of it as well, and uh, and some of the people who've never seen it, kind of watching a bit of Doctor Who just to uh, educate themselves a bit and, and learn a bit about it. So hopefully, creating some more fans out of it as well. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's it's brilliant, and it's uh, it, I think it, it what an achievement to, to you know that this was made during lockdown. Like I, re- I remember going to a little event in Bristol as a We Are Cults event, and uh, and. They had a couple of people, they had uh, Gary Russell and um, Chris Chapman and stuff talking about the release a little bit. And that's all back in February. And it seems so wild now that like they, we had no idea what was going to happen a month later, um, that we'd be in full lockdown and how that must. The, the fact that they've been able to work around that and still make this happen is, is really encouraging Um in the short term, because we don't know how long this, this pandemic thing is going to go on. Um, but just generally, you know, because who knows what will happen with the whole industry and the economy and all kinds of stuff. So it's really nice to know, like you said, like they can just work like this, you know, remotely and agilely and all over the world to, and, and, and piece this together. And like with minimal disruption, like this was, it pretty much came out when it was due to come out, you know, maybe a month later or something, but pretty much it's, it's out on time, which is, so sort of staggering really. I, w- I was watching the animation
2: documentary and I was, I was kind of jealous that they were discovering it for the first time because there were people on there who had probably heard of Dr. T but never seen it. And certainly not, this era, um, but also I noticed that they have that kind of glazed look that our that partners have of Doctor <laughs> Who fans when, <laughs> when, when they just suddenly been immersed to this crazy world and, and stuff like that. And um, no, I, I I think that's extreme dedication, and I take my hat off to every single one of them. Uh,
1: hopefully, uh, you know, for them as well. I guess. You know, potentially animation might be a bigger thing in the, in the short term if if it's more difficult to film live action. You know, not just for Doctor Who, but um, you know, it could could you know create a bigger industry for animation generally. So, uh, you know, if these people have obviously proven themselves uh, by creating something great with this that that they go on to have fantastic careers as well.
0: Yeah, and um, I I, loved, um, I really enjoy I love the the sets as well. I thought were well, fantastic. It, like not only just this this the actual um, backgrounds and stuff. Well, they're not really backgrounds; they're entire sort of three hundred and sixty sets. They feel like um, look. I like the establishing shots as well. Like the establishing shots of the uh, of the base I it's, just it's all covered in you know um, fog and everything. Look, look amazing. And it kind of I've watched lots of James Bond recently. Like I love the fact that they got those sets of the refinery. They, they look like Bond sets and you know, they look like you know, their ambition I think was to, put, to make it more like a film budget at the time instead of had the budget and a lot of those sets I think really benefit from those big vast kind of chambers and huge endless corridors fantastic and they look great and like you said Simon they, they've done a great job to make them really shadowy and atmospheric as well
2: and as Gary says you got a bit more you got a lot more freedom with animation because you can go up and down and Whereas, whereas uh, in the studio, and particularly at that time, with the technology and the r- restrictions that they would have had in the tiny studio, they wouldn't have had the ability to do that. But also with the animation, uh, the things that they have done before, like you mentioned the massive tentacles and trying to spot the helicopter, um, it's sympathetic. It doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. Like any improvisation or sort of guesswork or... Um, as, as you said that Gary says you know like as an alternative take on he's all sympathetic to the original source and I, I think that for me that's the vital thing because if you made something that um, stuck out like a sort of thumb like a oh that's definitely a 21st century idea then um, it, it just it would kind of pull you out of the story but none of it does it just kind of sucks you further into it yeah I thought that was very well done
0: I liked his I like the uh, the John as he puts it the John Carpenter style zombies uh, yeah. when he, when he, when he sees Robson on the base and there's and there's not just him covered in foam which does look great in the telesnaps snaps as well like he said. but I like the fact he's got all the other characters who've been possessed in the background and they've, they've sort of made them into kind of weed zombies I think it, you know he said that and, then, and I like the gas effect on the mouths as well when they breathed on somebody they had that kind of slightly wobbly gas effect um, that's so cool so I really love all the touches oh,
3: I've
2: just, I've just twigged that's why it's four twenty. The seaweed. Uh, yes.
1: <laughs> just wait. Bit right. Sorry. Don't mind. Don't mind. <laughs> but that, I think because, um, like you say, they would have they would have had it on that epic scale if they'd had the the facilities to do so. And I think the suggestion, even just like you're saying, like um, they live at number four twenty, so it suggests a massive refinery with a huge staff that are all accommodated there. Um but yeah, the yeah. thing about the animation is that they can now show the the scale of it and the size of it as well. yeah,
2: yeah yeah it, it did feel like a and it sounds strange to say, but it did feel like a real company. like you had them um, I cannot remember a name the visiting official right at the end. Oh, Megan and Jones. She, yeah. yeah, she came in and and she and she. I, I love her. She was my favourite <laughs> character. She came in and she ruled the roost and she knew what exactly what she was doing, and um, and yeah, i just got the sense and I could just imagine this whole company with lots of gas and there's trouble at one and she's and she's kind of like storming down there to, to sort it all out um yeah it's
0: he, it's a trip but a bit of world building is that? yeah and it also, that's one of those characters it's really good that she was a woman as well like it just it just really really helps it and it, it sells the fact that it's slightly in the future um given that how things were back then um but it is yeah then it really which of course means it stands up so much better today because it's like completely you know, it's, it's incongruous. Um, and she's a great character, really, slow, like said, strong, feisty character as well. Couldn't believe, love the fact, she was Grandma Connolly in Idiot's Lantern as well. No that way. is wild, wild, oh, wild, wild, yes. wild. Love it. And
2: what's more, she believes the doctor. Like, there, I there's, certain, yeah. There, yeah, there's certain <laughs> doctors who and you see them so often that you, like, say, I, I don't know about anybody else, I just think you know, it's like almost there, here we go um, but she doesn't, she mm. he kind of like gets on with the story, doesn't hold it up, like we've got um, um, the, the head of the refinery and he's like your, your, your typical Trouton-esque um, man in charge who's on the verge of a breakdown and, um, and he's repeated uh, again and again in the, uh, in the Fifth Doctor era as well um, but Like she just comes in, but and and you know it doesn't. She doesn't hold up the story because when it gets to the Pertwee era, you got always got the man from the ministry who who comes in last minute and mucks everything up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it was nice. It was a nice sort of thing. The suggestion of her relationship with Robson as well when she goes to see him in his quarters. It's yeah. It's, it's quite subtle that maybe they've had a, some sort of relationship in the past or they're just incredibly old friends and she just tries to reach him just kind of really reasonably. Um, it, I thought it was a great scene, really uh, would have been nice yeah, to see. The really, that.
0: Yeah, it really comes across, I agree. Because I, I, I wasn't sure what you mean, like what that relationship was exactly, but um, it, they've definitely got history or there is something there and it just gives it, that, that stuff like that just gives it a depth. It's um, it, it also it really felt um, overall like it, it. There was I don't know there, there was a lot of I think it was well like it was a very clear story like it's very very clear and you know, where it's, it's got a good start, good middle, good end. Um, and, and for a six-parter, like the last two episodes kind of ramp up the action with much more helicopters and flying on rigs and stuff. And um, but there was also really good um, drama, like you said that there's those moments of of. Just very subtle human connection, human stories. And then even at that moment with uh, Jamie and Victoria, in, the, in quite early on, episode right, two or three, where they're in the bunks and stuff. And, and you know, Jamie's going to sleep and Victoria's having her doubts about whether she wants to stay. And it goes very quiet. And it, it comes down to a very small, sort of beautiful, small human stuff, which is, 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 it really helps rather than just being a big all-out disaster movie where everyone's just generic people herring around. They really do, I think you're right, Mark, they, they, they do tend to pull out those really little human interactions and stories which really help sell the, the, sort of the threat and the peril.
1: The Harris's relationship as well, is uh, mentioned it before, it's, it's, it's unusual to have that um, and helps to sell them as real people.
2: It was nice
1: to have the Harrises
2: in the center of it because it really has a good human heart, this story, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and, and seeding Victoria's doubts about continuing to travel rather than, as you say, the expectation not knowing the story very well is that she's just standing on the beach at the end and she goes, I'm going to stay. But it's seeded early, and on, early on enough in the story that it just feels like a natural thing. Um, for her to mm. say, and that the fact that they took half of the final episode, once the threat's been resolved to to not only uh, have have the scenes of Victoria leaving but you get a bit of what happens to each of the characters, so Robson getting back to work and, and all that type of stuff it's, it's really unusual, but but really nice
2: All I can yeah. think off is that she must have been well mixed to get a half an episode, uh, like kind of a a whole story where they seed that in rather than just the, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of Mel at the end of Dragonfire, where she suddenly says, oh I'm off with Blitz, see ya and <laughs> you know, or or, or, um, or Leela at the end of the inv- Invasion of Time um, Victoria must have been really a kind of a well liked character and, and the actress must have been very well liked as well and for them to want to do this properly
0: yeah, yeah, they do. I sort of looked in. They mentioned it starts in episode three. I think she starts mm-hmm. in mentioning sort of mentioning that. So each in each episode, sin like each episode uh, subsequently, they they do that, which is really nice. But also, they bring out the the second doctor is also like an amazing character. um but I, there was, lo, there was some, just some lovely character stuff with him, you know, as always. Um, the comedy stuff with it, with the helicopter. I mean, I just I'm quite easily pleased, but I laughed my head off. I thought it was so funny. But just him, from the moment he saw it and goes, oh, "I've always wanted to fly one of <laughs> these," and the fact he can't fly it. But again, that's, that's seeded as well because in the first, you know, the first thing they're talking about it's like, "You really can't fly this thing. You don't know where you're going. You haven't got control over this thing." You know, it's sort of usual, you know, in the in the realms of the usual jokes. But then come episode six. You see him actually trying to pilot something and you think, my God, this is what you're like with the TARDIS, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just cannot fly, but he loves it. You know, he's, as he says earlier, you know, Victoria's sort of complaining about, oh, we're just always in trouble. And then he says, oh, that's the spice of life. And it's just like, well, no, that's variety. Of like, but to, him, to, him, to him, troll and like I love that mischief. I love that. Like I'm to get my hands on one of these. And even when he gets lower down into the foam, you know, really, but at the peak of the peril, you know, he's giving all the Jamie all that. Come on in, the water's lovely, you know. And down the hatch as they go down the hatch and stuff. So, which a lot of stuff he, I'm sure he added as well. But like, it's a, it's a great one for him, you know. Brilliant.
2: You re- you really get a sense of the Second Doctor in there and and that is. And that's the beauty of these of these uh, animations and reconstructions and so on is that, um is this you just get more of him and you get and you get we get to know the character more. I absolutely love Patrick Crouch and Doctor section, but you, you're quite right. And he's he's kind of seen the Doctor in relief against the, his companions, and of course it's going to be a different dynam- dynamic from the next story when Zoe comes in as well. Um, it, I, I I was thinking at the end where it's just him and Jamie. There, um, there's only a couple of occasions in Doctor in history where there's just two fellas in the Daleks. So there's yeah. him and Jamie at the end of this one, and um, the Fifth Doctor and Tilo at the end of um, Resurrection of the Daleks. Um, and you know. You, you, I'm pretty sure in some spin-off media there's going to be just ones with Doctor and Jamie in mm-hmm. but uh, it's always going to, have, going to be better for having Victoria or Zoe in it
1: I think yeah make you wonder when, when he regenerates and uh, you know experiences like this make him think well, the next incarnation needs to be able to fly or drive anything <laughs> So get the, oh, yeah, get the point that's
0: good. Know. I like. I'm buying that. That's now in, can, you know, in story canon officially. This was the story that made him decide. When I regenerate next time, I'm going to be able to fly and drive. And you know, do I love that.
2: You're absolutely right, Conrad. In there, um, he he just runs towards Benji, doesn't he? And or oh, oh, more often not, he's oh new thing, and he's like a subway going, "What's that?" And he's hopping towards it without any thought. And yeah. his friends are always kind of running after him like the concerned parents, like no, 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 no. But of course by then it's always too late. <laughs> Did I you, listen to um, the audio drama, The Slide?
0: I listened to one episode of it, I've listened to one so far.
1: Yeah, I only listened to the first episode as well. It's really good. It's really,
2: really good. And it's
0: Roger Delgado, is it? Yeah, that's always good. That's always a good time. <laughs> it's, um, and uh, yeah, I like this. Didn't they say that this, um, so he wrote the slide first. Um, that's right. And then the slide, sorry. the, slide, the Doctor Who story, uh, uh, He pitched it as a Doctor Who story. That's right. And then they said no to it. So he kind of, Put it in, made it into this radio thing in, instead. So yeah, Roger Delgado is playing What would be the? He's the foreign doctor um, type, <laughs> you know, type role. Um, and you can see, you can see where all the uh, the sort of similarities of the story, the the, the, the analogue, the, the equivalent in each story. You know, you get the the woman who's kind of she can hear the you know, the threat, mm-hmm. which in that one it says mud instead of foam. You know. Seaweed, um and she gets affected by the sound of it so you can see those echoes of it and i think but then i think turn both if i've got this right the slide and fear from the deep they influences from both of those turn up in the pescatons which uh, comes later which is um you know it's that one which is i heard recently because it's on the season 12 blu-ray they put it on there as well so it's really nice being able to piece these things together you know as each one of these Blue Race comes out, it, you've suddenly all these jigsaw pieces, so now we've got the whole of the slide, we've now got Fury from the Deep, we've got the pescatons to listen to, you can sort of, it's great, you can complete all this stuff.
2: Absolutely, and I love seeing like an evolution of an idea, like you've got one story which and then you, it's adapted for another format and it turns into something else and then again uh, so it's gone from audio to television, sort back to audio in like that kind of kernel kernel of an idea. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's marvellous. I mean, um the slide as it goes on it gets creepier and creepier and the MP, MP and his wife and the craft start to show in their relationship. Um it's well worth well worth persevering with. And I also noticed on the catalyst there's Miriam Margulies as far as <laughs> I mean, how cool is that? It's not even trumpeted anywhere, and it's, oh, I'm Miriam Marguerite.
0: (laughs) What? future doctor. How fantastic.
1: Oh, my Yeah, it must be fairly unique, I think, in in Doctor Who that it it was a rejected Doctor Who story that got made into a radio drama, on the strength of which he got commissioned to write a Doctor Who story based on it. It's
3: Um, so weird,
2: isn't it? Yeah.
1: Speaks of the changing production well, teams as well, I suppose. Yeah, yeah.
2: And and again, um the 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 audio drama, uh slide, it it feels like a Kurtwee. It does. I know he's got oh. Roger Delgado in so of course he does. But it it absolutely feels like a Pertwee. I was expecting him kept expecting him to turn up halfway through. And, you know, coming with Bessie and that with that music and Joe
1: Joe and so the bit I listened to reminded me of, um, there was one that was repeated on Radio 4 Extra maybe last year, that was a Robert Holmes story. I can't quite remember the name of it, but it was a, it was a rejected Doctor Who story that, that he went away and wrote for the radio, and it had Peter Cushing in it. Um, oh, fabulous. It was, um, yeah, it was, it, I'll, I'll, I'll find the name and I'll put it in the show notes because it might still be on the, the Sounds app. Um, but a really cool story about this Scottish island where the um, some some of the kids there had mutated and then become psychic, and then they would go to the mainland and, and, and take up positions of power where they could. So it was uh, it was a really good creepy story oh, built and built. I've listened to that. It was really good. Is that one of the
0: other? Has it been on any of the uh, Blu-rays yet, or was on the victor on the
1: radio? I, I got it on the sounds uh, app. I think from from Radio On the sounds app. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ah, cool.
3: Yeah.
1: It was superbly creepy, wasn't it? It was. The way it just built and built, and and then you didn't know who was actually one of the mutants. It was, uh, it was very well put together. Mm-hmm. Oh, can we have that in the show notes, please?
0: Says Connor, a pain in the arse.
1: Yeah, I will. Um, <laughs> I'll find. Can you remember what it's called? <laughs> I'll will figure it out and um, and find it. Um, oh, sweet. It was on the the thing that Toby Haydock does on Radio Four Extra. It's called the Seventh Dimension or something like that. And they um, they play old sci fi <laughs> stuff on it. it's um, Some really great stuff on there. It reminded me of the John Wyndham. That it was very John Wyndham. That mm, so it sounds got, it. Yeah,
2: Robert Holmes always kind of like kind of bucks on start onto his territory. Really, they they kind of dovetail nicely together.
1: Nice that. Victoria got a little bit of um, with the lock picking. I thought in this story was uh, a nice little touch that she uh, she got a new skill that that came in handy a few times.
0: Definitely, and yeah, they did give lots to do. And there's something really lovely about the fact that it's her screams that saves the day. Yeah, um, I think that's a really it's it's kind of really witty as well because that's what people remember. You know. Doctor who, uh, companions for and particularly Victoria like she was she had a good scream on her and so I, I think turning that into you know or the Doctor into turning that into the thing that fights the monster off and you know, you've got that great scene with Jamie's like oh the old the and Bright hook or whatever it is <laughs> and then he's like no Jamie I don't think it was that that did it um, <laughs> yeah I think that's really great that, that, that lot, they give her stuff to lots to do in her, in her final story particularly and she goes off you know she's told to stay where she is and goes off exploring and it's really good yeah they they give it's an excellent leaving story for her
1: the way the thing about course, the, the screaming the way that's seeded through the story so it's there for the viewer to spot and figure out for themselves yeah. is really well yeah. done um i i like that i like it when the um when the solution's there and that you know the doctor spots it but you've got a chance to figure it out as well
0: that is beautiful I have to say the clarity again the clarity of the storytelling here is great there's just enough clues if you want to spot them but yeah I really like that
2: yeah from the very beginning wasn't it and he he was saying speak
0: up man speak up and of course he wasn't and I I didn't twig it (laughs) yeah yeah that's right yeah later on they explain why he's whispering brilliant I just thought he
2: was being sinister and a a little bit creepy and mysterious but yeah
0: thought it was a style option Mm. yeah really strong story I be like a Victor Pemberson I and mean, we've gone like I, I had a look and because um, I, I don't know how official it is but um, it seems to be sort of fairly out there that uh, that next year they're looking at doing um, about the next two they're looking at doing is there are Evil with evil Daleks and Abominable Snowman uh, as the yeah. next two like I said, that's. I don't think. I don't, I don't. think anyone's come out and officially announced that, but it seems to be fairly likely. So that's good. And um, I had a look, and uh, they're only if they do that. If they release, uh, let's say, Abominable and Evil are the next two out. Um, it, that would only leave three more Troutons to animate. Really? Um, yeah, and and it's one for each of the. Uh, it's yeah. So, so if they get those two out for his three seasons, we've got Highlanders season four, Wheel in Space season five, and the Space Pirates for season six. So we've only got. You know, we're really close. You know, only five more. If I've got that right, I think that's five more Troutons to animate in total. And if those next two are. Confirmed. Then tantalisingly, it will leave all his three seasons with one more to animate, and then they're good to go for a sort of collection, or a whole season could be released, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said they would, they would I think they're planning now. They've got. these it's worth as well saying as well that this is the first animation one from you know Big Finish Creative, a new you know sort of production system. And they can. I think they're going to alternate or share uh, uh, the uh, sort of animation duties, if I've got that right. And, and the plan being two a year. Um, which I think there is about sixteen left. So, if they really manage to stick oh. to a year, you know, eight, ten years, we could have all of Doctor Who, yeah. which would be incredibly cool. Sure. So, it's a lot to get through before then, of course, because you know the economy is going to do all sorts of very deeply interesting things over the next yeah. sort five, of ten, and ten years. Um, you know, and the you know, and and the way media is consumed will continue to sort of change, but wouldn't it be lovely Is this really nice to, to be in a position that, that these things are doing really well and to have that hope that you know we could be seeing entire eras and who knows one day the entire series available in some format which should be is incredible who'd have thought that
3: one
2: day we would probably have the whole of Trav
0: yeah that's that's great do you guys have any kind of particular ones you, you'd like to see or I was in, I was intrigued that um, that uh I noticed on the on the the animation documentary they uh, they were asked a was asked about what was it uh animating some tartan maybe tartan on on Troutan's trousers or something and he was like tartan's no problem we can totally do tartan so I think that's Gary vying for oh, we'll do the Highlanders because that's the thing that terrifies all the most Gary. of the animators the, the idea of doing tartan is, the, is a huge headache but it's fighting talk from Big Finish Creative and so <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see Highlanders It'd be cool
1: yeah because the Power of the Dalek special edition they removed the check from from Troutan's trousers yeah I think so uh so yeah that'd be great but we get the Highlanders in there as well Um that'd be lovely uh, the Dalek Master Plan is probably the the main one I'd like to see yeah, but I know that's good. probably the, the the most difficult in terms of the number of different locations and characters that it's got um but maybe they'll team up maybe the two production houses will team up for that one <sighs> for an epic
0: yeah that's that's gonna be a, that you know that's a big one that would probably take a year or two on, it, on itself, I'd have thought. But yeah, that's a good. One.
1: I love the way the Daleks look animated. Uh, I think the power of the Daleks—they they look fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 it's really nice because, yeah, they do—they look fantastic. They move really well. They suit the animation. I mean, having said that, they did incredibly well with like the complete opposite to it, like a, a nice kind of structured geometric shape, like a Dalek, and to you know animate foam. And they talked about the difficulty of you know trying to make foam look like foam and behave in some kind of way but i thought they did a brilliant job just worth saying on the foam and uh seaweed i mean incredibly difficult things to animate i think they did a brilliant job
1: i guess with the abominable snowman, they've got the challenges of fur
0: fur yeah i have to actually that's probably the one i'm most looking forward to because because I, I as you know mark i didn't know this story very well until we reviewed it for uh, the vinyl release and now i love that story so i'm Lincoln thrills that's probably the one i'm secretly most excited about how about you simon what are you, is there any your
2: oh any darling heart-nots? that's the plan
0: absolutely yeah.
2: all the way i would be more than happy to wait for a few years for it mm-hmm. but that that is the one that's the most tantalising, i think because um quite some time ago now we've got the lost in time dvd box set didn't we and there's those lovely three episodes uh, three four episodes And it's just the last great lost epic, really, isn't it? All the others are stories, but this is an absolute galaxy-spanning epic. And um, when we do finally one day get it, I think I will not be seen until I've watched every last second (laughs) of it. And every version, whatever versions they have by that point. Mind you, I'm looking forward to the Highlanders and the Smugglers I'd like to see, because I don't know anything about the Smugglers apart from... Some bald guy called Cherub, who was later the caretaker in Grange Hill, I think. Um, and um, But they're Highlanders for an animated Hannah Gordon.
0: <laughs> that would be good. And I remember I remember back at that, that We Are Cult event, I remember Gary saying, they asked him, like, which ones would you like to do? And I know he said Celestial Toymaker was one he would really love to do because you can really go to town on it in terms of mm. you know the interpretation of it, you know, very dreamlike and psychedelic and stuff, so Oh,
1: good stuff ahead. Oh And I suppose something like the Space Pirates, which isn't held in massively high regard, but with the, the freedom of animation you can I don't know, maybe put space battles and things in like like they've done with the the tentacles menacing the helicopter in, in Fury from the Deep. Um, yeah. they can they can build it into something a bit more epic. Yeah, and
0: I mean we could go through all of them now. Marco Polo, there's one which was I oh. mean going to be a, that's going to be a huge hit, I think, animation wise. I think that's going to be yeah. But oh, yeah, okay. but we we but it's just really reassuring to know we're getting fairly close. Like I think I counted sixteen, give or take sixteen mm-hmm. that, that's kind of need, could do with animating to complete it. And that's yeah, you know, two a year. Come on, we can do this. So yeah, it's very important to keep buying and supporting these releases. <laughs> Absolutely. Well,
2: I I want a complete collection for, for my DVD shelf. Thank you very much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so close now. Yeah, Marco yeah. Polo is going to be a very popular one. I would have thought that's helped in high regard, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and you know, if this is um,
0: the first one from Big Finish Creative, then like, well done. We're, we're in a good shape. If this is their first attempt, then you know, we're in, good, we're in good shape
2: yeah they've, uh, they've really uh, shot out of the traps on this one haven't they I mean, yeah, yeah it's um, it's it's as you say if it's the first one I can't wait to see
1: what they do next yeah and hopefully it, if they got the groundwork then the, you know they've got Troughton's face and features and things then uh, you know they've got a you know a bit of a head start on the next one then um, it's going to be even better yeah any trousing is good trousers to me brilliant <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much guys it's been great to have you. you back on the podcast and, and great to discuss this story with you you're more than welcome thank you very much thank you I will put links in the show notes to where you can be found on twitter lovely thank you very much for listening at home goodbye 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 <laughs>